Hey, what's going on, good people? It's Gardner Douglas, your Oyster Ninja. I'm here today with the legend, the legend, legend, just in case you didn't hear me, Patrick McMurray. This guy hey, is the world champion um, oyster shucker, Guinness world record holder, author, restaurateur, instructor, teacher, father, can we go on? I'm sure we can. Uh, rocket scientist, <laughs> uh, brain me? surgeon. Right. Oh, yeah. We, we got inventor. Spare time thing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's going on, Patrick? Thanks for joining us, man. Hey, Gartner. How are you doing? It's great. It's great to see you. How are things? Things are good. They're even better now because I'm um, graced with a legend, man. A legend in the community, the oyster community, a restaurant community, ah. just period. It's all smoke and mirrors. No doubt, but it's working. <laughs> it works. It works. So, you know, love the oyster. I've been and oyster's been very, uh, very kind to me over the years. That's for sure. So I just like to keep keep pushing it along, keep shucking oysters. So um, I'm going to ask you a question. You might not know the answer, but sure. do you remember the first time you met me? It's only been not the on. first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, no. Tell time. me, tell me the, tell me the story. Of the first time that we so met. The yes. first time was embarrassing for me, only because <laughs> like I was so nervous and trying to make a good impression. Um, but it was it was in Boston, at the yeah. uh, the food, at the Boston Seafood Show, the Boston Seafood Show. Yeah, and yeah. I, I sat in on your um, I guess what do you call a lecture or your class or whatever, and. Yeah. Um, we go to the shucking competition and my heat is coming up and I start shucking and, and you were the judge or you were this, I think you were the judge. MC judge. Yeah. Usually yeah. that's what they have me do there. So I'm shucking, I'm shucking, I'm shucking, I'm shucking. And then you say something and I looked up while I'm, and I'm, you know, still, it's not kind of showboating, showing off kind of sort of type thing. But I was like, and, you, and whatever you said, it, it embarrassed me because I was like, why did I pick up my head and look and see what, you know what you was I, talking about? I was like, I oh probably my said, you know, because what? I, and I, then I go into it. I go, look, I don't raise your eyes off the oyster. You got to yeah, keep, exactly. keep focused on that thing. I usually see because if I'm watching it as shuckers do, it, it's it's a funny. If you raise your eyes, it's like golf. When you when you raise your eyes off the ball, your ball goes into the into the into the weeds. And if you take your eyes off the oyster, it goes in. Knife goes into your hand. So. I just sort of I do those color, those colorful things to talk to the people out in the out the stage as well, right? Because they got to. It's hard to see when there's eight people up there all doing this. Right, right, right. Uh, it's, they don't know what's going on, so I have to tell them. I go, well, when you raise your eyes, this is what's going to happen. So I probably and I, then I usually go in and say, well, usually I, I have a rolled up newspaper like where I got trained with, <laughs> like give it a whack. And I when I'm training new stuckers, the same thing. I will con constantly talk to them, and as soon as they raise their <laughs> You can't right. raise your head. Just keep your eyes down on the oyster. Right. And uh, and and it's to it's shuck safely, that type of thing. So I sort of teach them that as they go along. But that's funny. Sorry about that. No, no, you're good. <laughs> you're good. That was a, a lesson for me, man. Um, but enough about me. Uh, let's talk about <laughs> no, you, guys. No, uh, so um, how did you start, man? What was your first interaction with oysters? Uh, like, I, what got you in this? The, the funny thing, I've been in food since I was uh, it's my first job as a butcher's apprentice at the age of 14. 
and you know just sweeping up after school just it was a part-time job after school and then i got into the restaurant trade at 16 as a busboy and it was what 16 i was in a downtown restaurant it was my first time having an oyster uh it didn't really lead me into the oyster world as it is but it really you know it was just my first time experiencing it it's part of one of my stories 16 years old as a busboy uh one of the lead waiters at the restaurant restaurant was called Beaujolais it was a top 10 restaurant in the city of Toronto in 1985 it was a vintage joint absolutely gorgeous really high-end joint and I was a busboy and and so the one of the lead waiters Simon he goes Patrick cover the front door we're you know make sure chef doesn't come in the kitchen I got gerbil in the back door I go why what's going on Simon he goes we're gonna have some oysters but we're gonna you know we're taking them from the fridge and we're gonna open and eat them and i'm like okay i didn't want to you know i I didn't know what he was talking about so i just was making sure chef wasn't coming in and so he opens them up he's breaking them up with like a butter knife and he's just like you hear and he's fed us these oysters as we're you know sneakily taking them from the kitchen stock and it was you know wonderful it was ocean and it was tasty and we're doing something illicit and i didn't really know what it was all about until years later but that was my first experience thinking that this is kind of cool stuff food can be very interesting this way and seductive and and and, and naughty and and all good stuff at the same time and then i didn't really get into oystering oystering until after graduating university i have a degree in kinesiology sports sciences that type of thing uh not even in the restaurant i'm not even trained culinary wise nothing i didn't go to chef school but now i'm teaching all that type of stuff right i'm all self self-taught in the food world self-built up and all that type of stuff and the first time i i, I got pushed into the oyster is when i, I applied for a job after uh, uh school because i had some buddies working at an oyster bar in toronto called rodney's oyster house absolute classic joint right i didn't know really much what was going on in the place at the time and that was 1980 so 92 so flash forward to 92 um and the fun part was that it was uh it it was a cool joint to work in and my buddies were like you want to make some scratch we got some good money going on here and it's insane what's going on like the the stuff gardener the stuff that went on at rodney's oyster house in the late 90s ridiculous like we <laughs> we have so many stories i was just thinking today about collecting those stories and writing them down with some of the old guard old guard as well and this is where i got trained in um about shucking oysters I, I i came in there with knowledge of restaurant and nothing about oyster but i knew i had a knowledge of food and i liked my food and i worked in good places so they hired me up and the, the first another good story of that leads into this is the first day I got hired on a Friday afternoon by a guy named Jimmy Orm. Jimmy Orm was the manager, big fella. And he says, oh, Jay and Murph say that you're a pretty good guy. Your resume looks good. This is how it's going to go. We're hiring two people. You start on Monday, you finish on Friday. And after that, one of the two of you are going to survive. Are you good with that type of training? I'm like, sure, why not? Sounds cool. So I show up on Monday. He says, Monday, 930 here. Short and to the point. Fine. Show up Monday, 9.30, and there's a guy behind the bar setting up the stuff, and he goes, what? <laughs> like, Just like that, you know, what? What do you want? They go, well, I, I, I'm hired for, I got hired for the job. Jimmy Orm, Jimmy Orm hired me, so I'm looking for Jimmy. He goes, Jimmy doesn't work here anymore. I'm like, what? He kind of hired me on <laughs> Friday. He goes, yeah, I got fired on Saturday. <laughs> wow. And he goes, he goes I go, well, uh, do I have a job? He goes, well. 
let's see. So Jimmy's fired. So we have a hole in the schedule. Fuck, I'm, I'm the manager now. He says, he goes, that makes me manager. Yeah, you're hired. Come on, let's go. So he throws me in the back room. He dumps out 2000 oysters. He goes, spray these things down, toss them, put them in a bin. We'll see you in four hours. I'm like, what just happened? No idea. That was it for the first day of training. And so I was washing oysters for four hours. And then slowly they showed me on the same day how to open up some oysters and go. Then took me on a tour of the place. Really, they were in a complete rebuild of the crew. There was never a second guy hired. And the problem with Jimmy, Jimmy is a great guy. But they, what happened on the Saturday, this is the longest uh, first day story ever. Um, they, they would do something called the Breakfast Club. And back in the day, cash out was not on the phone. You didn't have anything on the phone. There's no touch bistro. It was a cash register. And you wrote things on a piece of paper, a chit, and you just order everything. You ring it in. So at the end of the night, the crew chief would ring in everything. It would take them three hours to ring in the night's receipts and cash out the place. Meanwhile, everyone else is cleaning up. It's a two-hour breakdown to break down the joint, clean everything up, get the sauces reset, and get ready for the next day. Well, you know, sometimes Friday night happens. You want to have, you know, a pint or a beer or wine or whatnot. Well, what happened afterwards, the breakfast club just grabbed bottles of wine, went up to captain's table, was doing the accounts for so long. They were drinking and cavorting. The whole works was going on. That Rodney came in. It was 7 in the morning. They were still there drinking, cavorting, doing everything that you're not supposed to be, just having a great old time. And Ronnie basically said, you got to go. It was seven in the morning. They spent the whole night right. on Friday night. And that's why Jimmy Orm got fired. And that's how I got hired. And that's, that's how I started in the restaurant trade in the oyster world. And it kind of went on from there. So it was kind of a, a, a totally wild and, and, and great place to work. And it ended up being that way. Uh, it was totally casual, different world of, of style of service. We were basically a bunch of pirates that jammed every night, had a great time, fed people, shucked oysters, cooked stuff. We'd run a, a restaurant that would really, it would seat 70 people and there'd be four people on and we'd be cooking stuff in a steamer, shucking oysters, the bar or the float uh, would, would serve drinks and a table service. That's it. And we'd have, there'd be times where there were lineups in this joint. Uh, we eventually got to the point where we should put one more person on as the door person because it, it just got that busy. I, I remember coming in one day as a crew chief. Uh, I grad, I went through there. I was there eight and a half years and, and went into the crew chief end of things, so management part of it. And I remember one day coming in at 4 o'clock for a 4.30 start shift, and there was a lineup at the door at 4, 4 o'clock. And so I just dropped the bag and started shucking at 4.00 and orchestrating the crew to do the flip over, reset, restock whilst I was shucking oysters. I shucked from 4.30 till one o'clock in the morning and, then, and there was a lineup in the door the whole time. And people Good were waiting minutes. like two hours. There was a time I worked on the door, I was like going, uh, and I, uh, I had a stack of 40 chits of people already waiting and this uh, door opens up again. I'm like going, hour and a half, hour and four or five minutes, two hours. And they're going, two hours, cool. I'm like, that's the drink list. I'll be back in a second and figure out your drinks. Uh, you guys are crazy. I would, anyways. That's that's how it went. Wow. And to get good, this is how that crew got really good at shucking oysters because you had a consistent two-hour wait on a door, and everyone's having twenty-four to four or five dozen oysters at a time, and you had one shucker. 
to do that. And we eventually got to the point where we kind of need a backup. The floater right. had to become the backup shucker. So we ended up putting in two stations and it kind of just went from there. So it was, it was a great spot to, uh, and I worked there for, until uh, I built Starfish. That's where I, I uh, at 2001, 2002 is when I went out on my own, built Starfish. Then I won the world championships and did all that type of stuff. So sorry, I keep, you know, I'll, you can stop me anytime. No, no, that's great. So is Starfish still going? No, man, I, it, it ran for 14 years. Wow. And, you know, it's, that's a good length. It's a good length. Yeah. I would like it, you know, as always, it's a passion project. I would love for it to, to have lasted forever. Uh, but, you know, times change. Things happen. And in different locations of the city of Toronto, it kind of ebbs and flows. So it was a time where business-wise, it was wiser to either move out or find someone else to take it over. And uh, we switched over to Pearl Diver. So I had some people who wanted to take it over but still wanted me in there. And so we changed it. It's now called Pearl Diver in the city of Toronto. So it's still a great place to go. I'm just no longer involved with them anymore. So technically, there's been an oyster bar running there for, it's now up almost 20, so it's 14 plus. Yeah, we're up almost 20 years on that one location. Uh, I'm just not involved with that. My second second place is called the Cayley Cottage, uh, a little Irish bar, dealt with oysters. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing with oysters there, I put it on the menu. I opened it in 2009. I, it's closed now. Again, it, it ran for 10 years. Um, but it, it, uh, I didn't think of putting oysters on the menu. I didn't design it to be an oyster bar because back in 2009, my mentality was oysters are at oyster bars. Don't eat oysters everywhere. You you know, people aren't going to come to an Irish bar just to have oysters. And so I'll have them here because it's me. I'll have some oysters in the fridge and I'll make a little station out of it. Didn't design it to be an oyster bar. Actually, I didn't even design it to be popular. My kitchen was undersized for the pro it was, it was a monster under itself, which was a good problem to have right but the uh i i put oysters on and just thought i'll take a two boxes and then i'll rotate it downtown i'll bring it back the fresh ones and no one will ever order people were ordering oysters since the since it opened like they in, in the first week i had two ladies come in sit down at the bar at kaylee cottage they go oh you have oysters great we'll have 48 oysters please i was like wow right on you want to have oysters <laughs> you must know you must know that i bring them in from down from starfish downtown they're going, uh, who are you and what's Starfish? Never heard of it. I'm right. like, okay, that's fine. I know the city's big and you don't have to know my restaurant uh, or, or me. And so I told them who I was while I owned the joint. And they thought, that's cool. We still want the 48 oysters. So I'm like, oh, yeah, no problem. <laughs> I asked them, I go, so you're just going into a, a bar and ordering oysters for what reason? Without having the qualifications, you just read it on a menu and you're going forward. Yeah, we like oysters. We know that we can find great oysters in Toronto. I go, that's that's good for the oyster, right? That's yeah. good that that anyone don't have to, you don't have to have qualifications. You don't have to be world champion all that baloney. Yeah, yeah. Put oyster on menu. People are now moving towards that, and that's the beautiful part of all of our work. Finally, coming to, together and and just more customers are savvy about oysters and say, no, we just want to have oysters. Cool. So now I would redesign the whole thing and actually put it in. And, I, and my ultimate menu is still in my head. So one of these days it'll come together. Nice. So what, what do you, out of the two restaurants, what do you think like the best dish has been over the years? Like does one stick out? 
the fun thing was I, I never really cooked with oysters that much. Uh, it's, it wasn't a, a thing. I would do raw oysters. And then most people know that my, my technique is to teach people about oyster without any sauce and to understand the miroir a little bit further to understand where the oyster comes from and think about it like a sommelier talks about wine, right? Uh, so the different nuances of the species, then the regions, then what the growers done to create those flavors. And to do that, you do nothing to it. You open up an oyster and put it out. That being said, we serve sauces and people would always come up to me and say, I'm sorry, I really like to have sauce on my oysters. Like, great, you're big people. You can do whatever you want to do. But we would do garlic oysters, and we would do uh, this with Irish style. Uh, in at, uh, at Cayley Cottage, I developed more of a, a slightly cooked stuff, so char grilled and, and whatnot that worked through that. When we use a broiler, and it all works. Uh, but more or less, it was it was uh, at starfish. Most of the fish dishes were the number one thing. Oyster, oyster towers. So I did all types of crazy stuff with the with the seafood towers and all that as well. Uh, but I'm now working more on concept of of dishes and cooking with oysters and creating that ingredient uh and, but what oyster are you using as the ingredient and really going further from the not just give me 12 oysters and some breadcrumbs put it in let's work on flavor wise what oyster are we going to use we're going to use let's start with species uh, east coast versus west coast on a grill char grill are going to have different finishes and flavors so we follow through and create those different things. So I'm really, um, that's my next project now is to sort of work on uh, more cooked uh, ingredient like type dishes as well. So it's, so it's not something I really played with a lot in the restaurant. I actually threw that at my, my chef once at Starfish. I said we had, cause we would run with five species and we would also, we had French oysters and Irish oysters as well as American and Canadian. And then we got into the New Zealand. So we had a starfish, a variety of oysters that you couldn't really get in North America because you can't get that in the States, mm -hmm. the European product, right? You can get New Zealand now and all, but we were lucky in sense Canada can do that. So I had this crazy amount of different oysters and I threw it at the kitchen one day as a challenge. I said, you have the best collection of oysters as an ingredient why don't you guys come up with an idea cook something with it and think about the different flavors and it kind of really they overshot their head and they just like they didn't really get into it as much as i was thinking about it so it's stuff that i'm still working on right now nice have you seen it done anywhere what's that cooking well cooking like, like the the five um the five species five species I, I used to organize flights, tasting flights of five species when it's available. So the Olympia being the hardest one to get uh, and the hardest to, 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 uh, for people to understand. Uh, and I would create a flight species wise, which was very, very cool. And the, the people who got it, got it. Right. The people who did ordered a dozen Malpecs and just, because <laughs> I know that that's the, that's the throwback here up, up in Toronto. It's Malpec is the number one down in the Eastern seaboard. It would be a blue point. Just give me a dozen blue points and call it a day. Um, so not a lot of people, I don't see a lot of restaurants running with the five species, but when they can, it's, it's a rare thing to do that. Um, you have to have the desire, uh, you know, the, the oyster these days, a lot of it is driven on the dollar, the bucket shuck. And, so that's the huge volume and you're going to get a small percentage of people who are going to want to experience the oyster for what it is. And with that, you have very few people who can actually one, bring it in and two, understand that 
this Olympia here is $5. And this Malpec here is a dollar at four o'clock in the evening. And let's call it $2 regular, the price, regular price. So this is twice, but it's, and it's half the size. Yeah. And I, I will tell you right now, no sauce on that oyster whatsoever. It just overpowers it. Just let it melt and you'll experience something. When people finally listen to me and do that type of stuff, they're like, okay, I get it. Um, I used to carry 20 different types in the 60 60 restaurant, 20 different types of oysters. And really that's, that's almost over overkill. You can, you can really overdo it too. But when we had that ability, you know, French and Irish oysters coming up with the two different species, the, the, the European flats and the Pacifics. Uh, so you could really do a Pacific only flight, then an East coast flight. Then I, I pulled off a, a flat flight, a Boulogne flight. Where's my little, I got to show you this one menu thing. I did this menu for, for Anthony Bourdain uh, when he was coming up and it was, uh, he was coming up to, to the thing to Toronto to, to do a signing. Right. And some uh, people wanted to interview him. So they wanted to take him on an oyster bar tour of Toronto. And so they asked me, Patrick, can you, can you do this? I go, yes. And I'm going to do, I, I'm going to create a menu for him. And, you know, here's, here's one of my hand built knives. And we'll tell him that if he comes up, I'll make him a knife show them how to use it. Like I literally said, and I'll teach you how to use it. Right. <laughs> right. Aid, right? <laughs> and so he actually took the, took the bait, came up and sat down and I created this five course oyster only intermezzo focusing on East coast. And, and I had five, five different flats. So oh, I had wow. French, I had Irish, I had uh, Nova Scotia, Maine and, and Washington state. It was like ridiculous. It was a ridiculous right. number of flats to actually put together. And he was just like this, you're kind of crazy, but you know, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it goes that way. And it's all about the sourcing, right? So this is what I tell a lot of people, especially at Boston seafood show, you know, how did we me the Toronto? Why, why, why Toronto? Why you got all these oysters in Toronto? We don't have local water. If I was on the Eastern Seaboard, Maritimes, New York City, there's you start with the Atlantic, and that's all we got here. And again, Pacific is only Pacific. It's the midsection. It's the mid states, mid provinces. We got Lake Ontario. Those oysters suck. You can't eat them. Right. So you got to fly them in from wherever. And once you do that, then you figure out different ways of importing things and having this great variety of oysters in this region. So it's kind of a it's a it's a silver lining for not being on the ocean. That's wild. So how did how did we jump from being like a restaurateur to being an author? How did how did like where did that come Again, from? It's everything that happens to me is opportunity and who shows up at the door at the right time. I I I'm working at Starfish. I when I work at I I own it, designed, built it, everything. But I also worked and I shucked on the bar. I worked the floor and worked to save serve tables. As long as I tell this to my students, I go, "You want to be an owner? Go clean the bathroom right now." come back and we'll talk. If you can't clean the bathroom at school, you won't be able to do it at your own restaurant. So, you, and I've done everything. So serving and, and talking to people is great. That's what I like to do. As you can tell, I talk too much. So one day I'm, I'm shucking, I'm, I'm working the bar, uh, sorry, working the tables actually, and talking to a customer and she was, she was a publisher. She goes, Patrick, would you like to write a book? I'm like, of course I want to write a book. I'm like, I have no idea how to write a book. Like, but yes, how would I, why am I going to say no? Yes. Yes. I would like to write a book about oysters, but I don't write no right yet what I want to do. Great. Thank you. Let's just work on it. it. Took me about a year 
of coming up with weird ideas. And I have these little black books of, of white paper and that's all. And I just started drawing and writing notes at three in the morning. You'd come up with another idea, write it down. Now it's all on computer or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I just had stacks of books and really about a year later, she walked in the door again. I go, I got it. I got, I got my book idea. And so we started working on it. And the, the best is, and, and, and there's two stories that follow through. So I go, how do you do this book thing? And so they gave me a, an editor to, to work with and she was fantastic. And she goes, okay, Patrick, first thing, let's do, um, let's do a table of contents. Okay. I can do that. Sure. So I broke down the chapters and she goes, that looks good. Okay. What do you do now? She goes, fill them in. And like, what do you mean? Fill oh, it yeah. in. Well, you've got a, you've got a chapter title, fill it in, fill in your idea. So I was just like, okay, start going like this. It finally came out, you know, you've, you've seen the bookie, right? And it's got all the chapters and all that type of stuff. And we put it all together and the majority of photos are mine. And, you know, back in the day when I was using film and a digital DSLR, now you can use all these things. And so I get the thing published and one day, and I, and I, I, I joke about this because back in, in England, in grade school, I'm not really great at writing or doing essays or anything. So I had my, my high school, uh, phys ed teachers showed up one day, all of them, there's like eight of them from high school, you know, your football coaches and all this, and they're all showing up and they're all having the boys day in, uh, at my restaurant and they, it, which was way cool. I thought this was great. You know, Hey, <laughs> I got to ask you, uh, you know, teachers, coaches, you know, is Mrs. Beatty still working at, at East York Collegiate? And they go, yeah, she's still there. I go, can you tell her I'm a published author now? <laughs> I have an ISBN number. Check it out. And so they're, they're laughing. I go, it took her like months to pull an essay out of me. It was like pulling teeth in her class. Right. So that was my grade nine English teacher. And it was just like, forget about it. So it's not like, and it's all these stories now as well. You just, you have more stories. You, you collect them over the years. It's just a matter of putting them all together and start putting them down as words. And I just, I tell my students, I go, it's important to, to journal, to, to write things down. Because if you have a recipe or what you want to do, basically as a restaurateur or a chef or a chef owner, you're a storyteller. You write a story. Your story is, is a menu. Your menu is a reflection of yourself and what you like, what you love, and you're going to turn that into food that people are going to eat. It's a story. So think of it as a storybook and fill it in. Fill in those chapters of the different menus you're doing. And the design is the, the book. The cover of the book is what the front of the restaurant looks like, comes through the restaurant and the whole thing. So, and I go, look, words are free. There's a cost to words after on the bottom end of it. So you have to use the right words, but you put them together. It doesn't cost anything. Like you, you already have, that's the most expensive thing you have. Half of my students run all their classes off the phone now and you can just start writing things, type it away, have ideas. You don't know when it's going to follow through and turn into a storybook. But I was just fortunate myself that we had at starfish, we would have big days. Uh, All of the publishers of Toronto slash Canada would dine at Starfish on one day. And then the next day would be all of the lawyers and then the judges and then all of the artsy people. It was weird because like the people would come in and then all the suits, the, the Wall Street boys, the, the, the money makers, right? They would all come in. I don't know who they are, uh, but the, the, they all knew each other. It was like old home week when they came into Starfish. It was kind of crazy. It was the oyster. The oyster brought them all together. And it was kind of a, a neat way of sewing it all in. And this one lawyer one day tells me, he goes, 
Patrick, do you know how many judges are in this place right now? If, if Starfish blew up right now, like the Law <laughs> Society of Canada would completely collapse. We'd have, I go, cool, let's not blow the place up because there would right. be a bit of a lawsuit, I think. Otherwise, <laughs> I'd go off to go into hiding. No idea. So it was good. It worked like that on, on famous people too. You know, Bourdain is a good story. And, you know, I've got lots of stories for, for other famous people that come in, but I never treated them like famous people. I would always just let them be who they are. They want to enjoy their food. They want to enjoy their oysters or whatnot. Fine. That's cool. Half of my staff would have to say, do you know, sitting on table seven, I'm like, no, not really. They like oysters though. Right. Yeah. So like the famous people who come in, do they know who you are already or have a, you know, an idea? They would know, they would know the restaurant. They okay. would know the restaurant and some of them would know the story behind. Uh, one of the, one of the classics, and this is a story I tell about service. I'll, sh I'll try to keep it short, but it's gorgeous. Uh, it, it refers to a gentleman by the name of Robert Lantos, which is, he's a huge movie producer in Toronto and Hollywood. He, uh, and so he, he, the story is that uh, I don't know who he is at all. He shows up late for a reservation. There was a young lady at the table and she was an hour there by herself. And I, I was trying to serve the table four times. She's like, no, I'm just going to wait. I'll just have my glass of champagne. We'll go from there. He comes in finally. And after an hour, I said, well, thanks for joining. You know, and it's Friday night now. You know, they had a seven o'clock res. It's now eight o'clock. The place is bonkers. And I basically said, great. You, he, he goes, I'll have a bottle of Chablis. We'll have 24 oysters. Then we're going to have lobster and supper after that. I go, great, thank you. I'll go work on your oysters right now. Uh, but I'm going to have someone else serve the table because i got to go back up shop because now we're, we're smoked at Starfish. We've got to take care of this. So 30 minutes later, he orders a second bottle of Chablis. And I just finished off his plate in rotation, first come, first serve. So right. he's an hour late. Now you're an hour late behind everybody else in the restaurant, right? And I got two shuckers going. And my number one, Lawrence David, is fabulous shucker. He's like f phenomenal. So he could take, he's the steady horse. I can bang some stuff out and away we go. We're good. We got it even. 30 minutes is all it took. So 30 minutes later, I put the plate down in the second bottle of Chablis and I start going, so these are your oysters, you guys. Goes, let me, let me just ask you a second here. You're, are you this Patrick fella? Who's this world champion oyster <laughs> shucker? Now this is, this is 2000 and 2002. So there's none of this going on. There's no Twitter. There's no nothing. This is right. read it in the paper. So I said, yeah, actually, did you hear about that? I, I won like six months ago. You heard it, did you read it in the paper? It was in a Toronto life magazine. You know, I got good, good press. So I was, you know, at the, that style really good press. So he goes, yeah, I heard all about that. So I go, let me just ask you this question. If you're so fucking fast, why did it take 30 minutes to get my fucking plate of oysters? And I was like, whoa, dude, you don't actually have to the fuck eat here. And I grabbed his wine and his oysters and took it to the back bar. And I'm fuming. I'm pacing back and forth on the bar going, who the is this guy? And coming in and sit an hour late. And so I looked over at the table and all I saw was the young lady was giving them just like, <laughs> she's like saying, you go iron this out and talk to, he's been a super nice guy. So I see, he gets up, I, I go like, Doo -doo -doo. we're having this, you know, in the middle of the restaurant. And this is what I tell, I tell this story to my students all the time because there's front of house and back house and chefs. One thing, don't touch your customers. Now in COVID, never touch anybody, right? No doubt. But don't touch anybody. That's, that's you know, it's front of house. You know, so I, I, I literally gave him the, 
I gave him the two finger poke. Don't touch anyone. Poke, poke. Listen, I don't work 18 hours a day. My crew doesn't work 18 hours a day for you to come in an hour late without making a phone call for your reservation. I don't want to feed her for an hour and I've gone back four times. So this is what's going to happen for you to come back. Cause you're, you're going to say to your friends, when you leave here right now, all pissed off, you're going to say to your friends that this place is a piece of shit because it took so long to get your food. This is what's going to happen. These kids work too hard for this. You're going to turn around. You're going to sit down because all I want to do is feed her. Don't really care about you. I want to feed her. So we're going to feed the two of you together because I've already shucked the oysters. We're going to pretend nothing happened and we're going to behave nicely. You're going to have your oysters. If you want more, give me a little wiggle and I'll make you another plate of oysters and we'll get your supper too. If at the end of supper that you think this place is still, then you can tell all your friends this is a piece of shit. Are we good? It's like, that's all I got from her. <laughs> turns around, goes, sits down, sits down. I grab the plate. I grab the bottle. I come back. Go, hi, these are your oysters today. I've got this lovely little variety of 24 different types of oysters. And this is what I've got it in ascending order of uh, flavor. So mildest to most interesting and complex. I'm going to go shuck some more oysters. If you want some more, just give me a wave. No problem. So I got back there. Within five minutes, I do. See, so, okay, I got the wave, made him another plate, bumped it. Ten minutes put it out there before he finished his last one, gets that, has oysters. George takes care of him the rest of the night. And halfway through, before his supper comes down, I wrote on my business card my cell phone number. I've never given my cell phone number out before because, again, it's 2002. Mm -hmm. No one has a cell phone. So here's my cell phone number. You're the type of guy – hope everything's going well. You seem to be the type of guy who's a busy fella. You, for, you have – breakfast, you forget lunch, your blood sugar drops, you become bitchy. I get it. I understand. Here's my card. If you're ever in a moment that you want to come in and have some oysters, call me, give me 15 minutes out and I'll have it waiting on your table before you get here. Okay. Thank you. So at the end of the meal, the card comes out and you, everything was fine. Card comes out it's, and you hear ting. It's the black plastic. It's the black Amex right? Yeah, the aluminum right. one. Yeah. Even back then that was a thing. So I grab this card. I'm going to go back to swipe and do all the things that you do. And I'm reading it. I asked my crew member, I go, who's Robert Lantos and what does he have to do with Alliance Atlantis? And they go, he kind of owns Alliance Atlantis. <laughs> they understood who this guy was. He actually owns it. Like that card is like serious card. I go, so he wouldn't be a great guy to kick out or anything, right? No, no, not really. Okay, great. <laughs> Swipe the card. And still I'm playing don't really care type of thing. Thanks. Thanks very much for coming in. I'm glad you had a good time. One week later, Lamborghini pops out. Door slides open. Pretty young thing comes out. And the boy, the gentleman comes out, comes in the door. And he, I go, Nice, nice car. He goes, yeah, well, thanks. Thanks. Thanks very much. Say, so, uh, who's, who's Patrick? Is, is Patrick here? I go. I'm Patrick. He goes, okay. Um, so you're Patrick. Are you the guy who kicked Robert Lantos out of this restaurant? <laughs> I'm like, well, I didn't really kick him out more than I told him that he couldn't eat here anymore. Cause he wasn't behaving very nice. That's, that's all that I know. But yeah, yeah, that was me. That was me. He goes, that's my dad. He loves that story. He's told everybody that I can think of <laughs> let's have some oysters. So I was like, now I've had this huge turnaround from someone who could literally crush me in his world right. he's always a no person and i was the first one that kind of said uh no to you again and he 
thankfully had that type of respect. And I was like, through a strange story, he has me to this day, he would have me tell that story to the producers and the directors and the actors that he would bring into the restaurant every single time. He's like, Patrick, tell the story. I'm like, Robert, I can't tell the story to these. I don't know who, who I'm sorry. Oh, Adam McGoyan. Yeah, nice, nice. I love your work. Thank you, for, Patrick. Tell Adam the story. I'm like, let me serve you your oysters first. I need a drink before we can do this story again. So <laughs> it was ridiculous. And so those are the type of people, and still, I still would not know them to walk in the door or anything like that. But it ends up being a, a stupendously interesting time. And I just wanted him to, to know that you should behave nice. No and doubt. that's what I'm, hopefully everybody out there listening goes, they will behave nicely in restaurants when they go to restaurants now. Boom. And hope nobody will touch anybody. Because they might run across somebody like you. <laughs> one day, one day, and this is why I always, always trust the shuckers always got a knife on them. They, they know how to use it really, really well. So don't ever cross the shucker. Shucker's going to get you your food to you as fast as you, they can. They're just a few people ahead of you. Not a problem. Right. Yeah, I, that used to uh, uh, really irritate me, man, as far as like people just wanting to rush you. And I mean, you got to know it. The restaurant is busy and you can only shuck so fast, no matter how many well, sharpers you have. The thing is, as well, there's it, a lot of people are used to having oysters pre-shucked. So there's, too, there's certain right. oyster bars and their style has been like this for 50 to 100 years. Uh, Jay's in, in Portland, Oregon, sorry, Portland, uh, Maine. Great little spot. I went in there. It's like a diner, right? 50s diner. The shucker was shucking oysters in this big mound in the middle behind the bar, the mid-island where the fridges are and the ice bed is there. Huge. It's like 500 oysters to 700 oysters piled right up high. And it's 12 noon. I'm like, I'm the only guy in the place. Look, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm prepping. So what do you do? Oh, I shuck the oysters. Yeah. And I pile them up here on ice. Yeah. Shuck cap off the whole works just not severed on the bottom. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's what we use for service. I'm like, so when I order oysters, yep. Up, 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 here's six, like uh, 32 seconds. Right. That's all it takes. Yeah. So a lot of people do have this preconceived notion that oysters just come out as they come out when you order them. It's the ones, the professional oyster bars where you are shucking in front of the people that you get to visually see what's going on. And then there's subclass levels in that. Do you, are you, uh, you know, Balthazar in New York City has, a, has an oyster station unto itself. And those two shuckers generally don't talk to anybody. There's no one to sit in front of them. Mm -hmm. They just fill order, fill order, fill order, fill order. That's all they're doing, processing, processing. Bartenders are over on this side. Dining room is over on this side. So that style is more efficient at getting out high volumes at a faster time frame. Starfish, it was me. And if I got into talking, my speed level goes down like this. Right, There's right. times where I'd actually have to, I got 12 chits in line. I'm like, no, okay, I can't answer anyone. I, I, would, I would stop talking, as strange as you may think this is. There's been times where I would stop talking and the customers are still throwing questions at me and I'm just banging through these plates and they go, oh, he's not listening to me anymore. And so I'd have eight different customers in front of me. That's usually what I would serve. And then I'd have my servers serve them. I do this so it's finished for an hour. I finished off all of the plates as the procession goes through the seven o'clock hit, right? Then I went back and I go, answer your question is this, answer your question is this, then this question got over here and then answer that one is just this. I was listening to everybody and I was just like, now it's beer o'clock. Go ahead, ask me all the questions. Well, there's a certain point in time, I got to stop talking right, so right, I can right. get through all this stuff. And my crew knew that too. There was times where there, I would get the tap on the shoulder. I was like, what? They're like, uh, you got to, 
head down. I went, oh, okay, sorry guys, I gotta go shock. And that was it. So it's, it, it, there's times and the customers are, are like that. We love them, they are paramount. I do, have, I do have another theory that I like to profess. The customer's always third in my world, in my restaurant. You're number one in my heart, you're, you're paramount to the effectiveness of the restaurant. Number one in that sense. But customer is rarely right until we tell them that they're right. First, first thing that is the most important is the ingredient. So that usually starts in my world with the oyster. I want the best. I want the best oyster so I can be happy. And my chef wants the best ingredients so they can be happy too. The crew has to be happy with what they're doing. If I'm a sourpuss oyster shucker, you're going to taste it in the, in the, in the food. It's going to look terrible. It's not going to taste good. Same thing with the chef. You got to be, everybody has to be happy with what they are doing. And that's how the customer can be number one once the first two things are fixed up. Right. Ingredients first. That's sort of my one theory. So although we love them to death and customers are always number one on our heart because they pay the bills, and we will do everything for you. But you are right when we tell you are. Right. So And I tell, I tell students this as well. I said, don't do that until unless you own your own restaurant. Period. Yeah, they, yeah, that makes they, that's all that restaurant too. first. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. how do how did we start? Um, like where did the competitive competing uh come in at? The competition started right when I started back in eighty. What was it? Two, okay. First days at Rodney's Oyster House. I started a, a basically September, and in the beginning of September, two weeks into my first shift, like the second week, they go, "Oh, there's this oyster festival we're running." Uh, called the Ontario Oyster Festival. It was the early onset of it. They did it at another, it was a, pro, it was a promotion at another restaurant called Movenpick where they would do Oyster Week and then they wanted to do something fun. And so, yeah, we'll do this shucking contest thing. So they, the cats threw, I go, I'm not shucking. I just, I just barely picked up a knife as it is. They go, no, you're in. Everybody goes in. So, okay, whatever. I just didn't want to come last or whatever. I just didn't want to cut my hand off. Mm -hmm. So I didn't cut my hand off and I actually didn't come in last. I came in 13th out of 14 people. 14 did disqualify, but you know, <laughs> didn't matter at that point. I was like, yes, right. I beat Jamie. And yeah. so Jamie's this big, you know, huge fella who would shock oysters. And that was my first foray into it. And then that was in September. And then the next season in the summertime, uh, there was a road trip to Prince Edward Island to the Canadian Championships. And I'm like, so everybody got to go. I, I went on this road trip, got to Tyne Valley, and Murph, who was the guy who really trained me the most at Rodney's Oyster House, Murph won it that year. It was the first year a Toronto person was going to go to the Worlds. And so I thought, this is wild. You work at a restaurant, you goof around, you have oysters, and you do this contest thing. And if you do well at the contest, you get a free trip to Prince it around. If you do well at that, you get a free trip to Ireland. So that's something to do. So that's where it sort of came together. And I didn't start getting good until about three years into it, because really I didn't get the time on the knife. You had to graduate. You had to, you had to earn your chops to graduate in that house. Mm -hmm. And it was tough. It was, it was, they're, they're larger than life characters and they would beat you around and you know it was it was fun but you had to be good at what you're doing you had to make a good looking oyster first but before you get quick and then i started changing things up in the technique because coming from a kinesiology background so sports sciences i was watching how a lot of the guys would shuck oysters i go they would pick up the oyster put it down shuck it pick it up uh, with one hand and their knife hand would do nothing 
they pick it up with the oyster hand, pick it up, place it, shuck it. And this hand stays completely doing nothing. So I go, this hand has to do something. So I went, picked it up, placed it, held it, shuck it, put it. So now both hands are doing something. And so I split the hands up and started working on a technique like that. And that's where I got very, very fast. And then I worked on the handle. As you all know that I have this weird looking handle type of thing, right? This, this whole thing. Nice. But I was working on that. I worked on that because the oyster knife, regular oyster knife is a, a little wooden thing. And it's lovely and gorgeous, but it, it would fit about two thirds of the hand, not a hundred percent of the hand. So I was thinking of what my kinesiology, biomechanics and ergodynamics classes were talking to me in my head, saying that the best effective tool fits more of the body part that uses it, whether it's a, I was thinking of an injection molded ski boot mm -hmm. again, back in the nineties and, and ski boots back then were injection molded and they would fit your, and you would get better uh, a kinetic response to the ski through a perfectly molded ski boot. So I wanted a perfectly molded knife handle. So I said, how am I going to get a handle molded to my hand? And this is sort of where I came up with this stuff here. And it's, it's an epoxy putty. So it's plumber's putty. You go to the hardware store, you get a two-part epoxy putty, you smush it all together, you get a, a blade that you like, you jam it into your hand, and it dries in your hand. It heats up a lot. It gets very, very hot. The first one I did without a surgical glove, big mistake. Wow. <laughs> Second one, I did one surgical glove. The third one, I did double glove because it actually heats up so much that it, you know, it scalded my hand. And I'm like, that's not good. So double glove was very good in the temperature range because it takes about 15 minutes for it to set. And I got about 40 tries before I got to this angle. You can see that this one effectively fits my hand. It's very, very tight. Mm -hmm. And so it fits beautifully. And each time I made it, it sort of made this shape into a pistol grip. And what I figured it, it, it works like a, like a lever in the end. If you've got two axis points, you've got an axis here and an axis there. That's 135 degrees between tip and tail. It becomes a lever. So I can open up an oyster with like three fingers of force. When you have a lever, it reduces the amount of force that's required to do what you're doing, prying open, lifting things, whatever. So the le leverage that I get out of this handle allows me to literally torque open any oyster with three fingers of force, which is very little. It reduces it by that much. So you can, but using it in the hand, the beautiful thing in the, hand, the handle as well, it did not slip. So it didn't slip. I got this oyster knife that, that would be custom fit to myself. So I started at Rodney's is where I was building these things by hand and and, and tweaking that I would take a Dexter Russell S122 blade, mm -hmm. pack it out of the plastic handle, insert it into this, and then I would hone it down to where I wanted to. The knife handle, the original knife, this is, this is what I call the original on the shucker batty thing. It has a certain length of blade, about three and a half inches. People are like, why that length? I go, well, when I was carving a blade, I don't know if you can see, there's a, there's a scar here. Right. Right here, probably. You can't see it that well, right? So there's a scar here. When I'm honing a blade, it goes from the hinge to there. That, that's, as, as I'm cutting blades without getting a tape measure, I'm like, Yep, that's good. And so that was the length. And so when I, everything is done because of there's like 14 really good scars on this hand. Then I got the glove and did all that type of stuff. But later on, the, the only reason I got into this, into the into a manufactured stuff was again at Starfish. After winning the world championships, I'm still working with this. And one of the owners of Swissmar, who's a knife company, 
came in and was like, what is this? So I told him the story and they go, this is great. And he was sitting with a, pay, a, a friend of his and he goes, well, I'm Daniel. I'm the president of Swissmar, not a uh, kitchen cutlery here in Toronto. I've actually heard of that company back then. And this is my buddy. He's the uh, president of Victoria Knox Swiss army. I'm like, heard of that one too. And so they go, would you like to put that knife into retail? I'm like, again, as opportunity goes, like, I got nothing better to do on a Friday night. Sure. Let's do this. Right. And that's sort of how it all came came together. And so, you know, that's, that's why I run with, with the goofy weird looking handle. It effectively works very nicely in the style of which that I shuck, which is tabletop style using a board on the tabletop and your hand on top and away you go. And it effectively works that way. So that's sort of how, and, and once I got in the competition and, and I got good back to your original story, sorry. Um, I started getting good at, at Rodney's. It, it was like, you know, one of the coolest things Rodney ever said to me, uh, I came in third at the Ontario's after the second year, I think. And I was fastest by far of all of them by about 20 seconds. I just wasn't clean enough mm -hmm. at that time. And he literally comes up cause he, I think he won. He goes, where did you learn to shuck like that? I'm like, well, right here, I was starting with Murph and all the other guys. And then I came up with this technique and it was, it was literally because you separated two hands, it was 30 seconds faster off the, off the deck than anybody else because it's the technique. So that's sort of how that, that developed. And then I progressed on the Ontario's and I progressed at the Canadians and I got an opportunity to go to the world's. And once you, that's when I built starfish, I won the world championships at, because I, I, I was able to do a training technique when I won the Canadians that year, I, I wanted I, the idea to do a training technique of sports specific training came to my head and I was like, great. My contest in the Canadians is 18 oysters at the U S nationals. It's 24. Why they have different numbers historically. It's because of whoever invented it back at the beginning thought of that number, the world championships, it's 30. Don't know why the number 30, but 30 it is. So in my mind, all contests should lead towards the world's all should be run at 30 oysters because if you're, if you're training for an 18, it's like training for a hundred meter sprint and then going to the Olympics to do an 800. Right. It's completely different set of muscle structures and thoughts. So my training program, when I won the Canadian championships, uh, this is the year that I won the worlds, uh, in 2002, I had a training regimen, uh, at the restaurant buy 30 oysters, Malpex, because I don't have the flats at this time of year. It's summertime. Uh, we'll do 30 Malpec oysters. We can do it at a price point that's effective, uh, $35. Uh, and I'll go, I said, I built a different table. That's the same height as what they run at the world's. It's regular table height rather than bar height. So 37 inches uh, rather than 42. So I built table height and I built a, a platter that the oysters were going to go on to. They're going to finish them off. They have to go in rows of six or five, five, six, six, five, six by five to make the 30, however it goes. So, and then you're going to time me for the 30. So I had a leaderboard and people would come in and I would do five or six of these trays a day, working on my time, working on the thing and people would eat it. I wouldn't dress it any further. Here's your oysters off you go. Next one, let's do this. And they, they would come and they would time it. And this is again before times of phones and people were watching and all that type of stuff. But that's sort of how I got the training regimen in to try to get better at that one contest. Because again, you never get a chance to run at 30 oysters. You're always doing 12s and 24s. But if you want to win the contest, you train. If you look at Antti Lempek, 
who is three-time world champion from Estonia. Fantastic. Absolute nutter. Perfect guy. Executive chef. The whole works. But he's so fanatical about his oystering. You can see he's on, his, on his Instagram feed, he's actually there in his living room. And I saw this one where his wife's got the baby on the hip walking behind him while he's pounding out 30 in technique and watching his training technique in his living room at home. I don't bring the oysters home that much to train at home. I'll right. go to the restaurant, some other kitchen or whatnot, or, or figure out some way to do it. But he would do it there, and that's how he trains. So there is a, a training regimen to the whole idea of when you go to contests. And so I recommend if you're doing that and coming up with, you're going to go to a contest, get into a specific sport specific as a loose terminology as oyster shucking is a sport, sort of like curling is a sport where it's more of a drinking game with throwing rocks on ice. That's sort of how we think about it. I love curling. Curling is actually an excellent sport, but oysters, we'll get there. We'll get to the Olympics eventually. There was an Olympics once actually, the Oyster Olympics. Did you know that one? No, I didn't know that. 1999 as an oyster shucker of a certain age, we can now say that back okay. in 1999, <laughs> there was an oyster contest at, uh, in Anthony's home port in Seattle, Washington called the oyster Olympics. And it was a, it was a, a three, it was a team sport. And then there was a fashion show who wore the best shells and all that type of stuff. The team sport was oyster identification, oyster shucking, and then wine identification. Wow. And you each, Three people on your team had to do a different discipline. So, and it's five species contest. So it's 12 oysters and there's 25 shuckers going at once. So they had 25 timers. It was kind of ridiculous how they, how they had to do it. But, and you do 12 oysters, a dozen of each species, right? Including the Olympia and the flat, the whole works in the, the uh, East coast, West coast and Kumamoto. And so I thought this is the best contest as it goes. Cause it gives you that breadth of how it goes. First, first dozen out, it's funny because I, I, I'm shucking my oysters. Three, two, one, go. Head, hands on the head. Three, two, one, go. Blah, 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 blah. Shucking oysters. Finish. And I go, time. Put my hands up like this. And the timer was sitting right in front of me on the stage. He's talking to the other timer. Yeah, how's the wife and kids? Oh, oh yeah. no. Just having a cup of, sipping a coffee. How was work today? Oh, your work was great. I'm like, time, 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 time. He looked at me. He goes, are you done already? I'm like. Yes. On, and I'm, like, I'm like calling it. Who's the lead judge here? Can we effectively tell the timers that some of us might be very fast? Okay. So please advise the guy to just, just, it's just a minute. Right. That's One a, minute. That's all. that's all I need of your attention. And so it went from there and it, you know, I effectively did the whole thing. Our team won the contest overall. It was, it was ridiculously fun and, and another long drawn out story, but it was a great thing. They don't do it anymore, but uh, you know, it was, it was a good little contest back in the late nineties. Was that the one that went in uh, uh, Guinness book also or no? No, that? that one did not. Uh, Guinness book is a different thing altogether. Um, when I won the world championships in 2002, I was asked to go on a TV show with uh, one of our Canadian food network channel people, Christine Cushing. She's a food chef on Food Network Canada. She goes, come on to the show and let's do oysters. What would you like to do? I go, well, like my wife says, watching oyster shucking is sort of like watching paint dry. It, you just see the guy's top of the guy's head and his hands moving and you don't really see anything. So, and it's for, you know, when you're doing the 30 or 12 or whatever you want to do in a contest, that's why the, with the cameras now, it all looks a lot better right. uh, in contests. But so with this Guinness thing, why don't we do a Guinness thing? It's one minute and it's set at 27 oysters. This is back in 2002, again, when I, when I did this thing. 
She goes, great, perfect. That's a minute's perfect for television. We love that. What do you need? I go, uh, I need a table. I'll bring the oysters. I'll bring my, I'll bring the stuff that I need. I just need a table. I don't know. I don't know what we need. No practice. Totally cold. Don't even know what I'm going to do. I have an idea of how I'm going to do it. So they gave me a, an eight foot folder table, plastic. And I laid out the oysters in sort of two rows of 20. You know, I, put, I put 40 oysters out. I don't know. I just don't know how many I'm going to hit. See what it goes. And she puts goggles on and she's got a timer. She's goofing around. It's, it's TV, right? She's supposed to be TV. Three, two, one, go. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm hacking. Oysters are flying everywhere. There's shell all over. It's landing in my hair. It's on the floor. It's all over the place. And at the, it's done. One minute, finished. So we walk out and they do all the counting. The camera goes on and does all the counting. They counted out 33. And they go, 33, the, the record was 27. Yeah. So what's that mean? I go, I guess it's a record, but we won't know <laughs> what we got to do. What we got to do is you got to take the tape and then the producer and the house lawyer and the independent people all in the room have to sign affidavits saying that they don't know who I am or anything. They didn't, I didn't fix it. It wasn't a fixed thing. And then they watch the raw tape and they bundle it and they send it to Guinness as a post thing. Now you got to sign up ahead of time. It's there's more rules now than there was back then. So they send it out a year later. They go, congratulations. You got a Guinness book. I had totally forgot about this. Totally. Wow. I'm like, oh, what? Really? And so bonkers. Everyone's happy. So now we, again, again, this is now 2003 or 2004 by the time I get it. And I'm actually in the book. Then the media goes again. We start playing again. This is before I started using even Twitter. Twitter didn't start till 20, 2009. So this is all information that is going through old style media to get to where it is. And it just sort of snowballed and it, it was fun. But when you're in the Guinness book, it's weird, but people will call you, TV shows will call you out of the blue. Hey, we're running a Guinness book show in Italy. Do you want to come and try to break your record? I'm like, sure. I got nothing else to do. So I, I attempted it like five times and never broke it again. And then finally, the one time that I went to China, I go, maybe I should practice this one. It's a five-day trip going to China. And I was on the, on the thing and I, I broke it to 38 oysters a minute that one and that one lasted for a number of years as well and then finally uh, gordon ramsay calls up and like that was the same the same week i got a phone call from gordon ramsay show and the martha stewart snoop dogg show so i it was a good week the, it was a good week it was a good week for <laughs> phone calls at, at kaylee cottage and so as as things go uh, you know i i the first one is hi we're we're calling from the gordon ramsay show uh, uh, we're you know we're calling from a show Los Angeles, we want to know if you, they didn't tell me who it was yet. They, uh, we want to know if you would uh, kind of come and try to break your record. And I'm like, ah, you know, it's, it's a lot of stuff to do that type of thing. And, you know, not really, I don't really do it that much for too many people. I don't go to like provincial state fairs or anything and just do it at someone's restaurant or opening of a shoebox or whatever, you know, not to sound like I'm a dink like this, but no, I, I, so they went on to tell me the story of how it's going to be shot and all this. And you got to go ahead. You got to teach the chef how to shuck oysters and you're going to go head to head against them. I go, who are we talking about again? <laughs> like I wasn't even listening. Who exactly are we talking about? And they go, Gordon Ramsay. I went, Oh, I got time for him. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, okay. That show, that show I'll do. So what's the concept again? And they, the person on the other phone, the producers are like going, Oh my God, these guys are idiots. So she's like, you've got to teach chef. You've got to teach Gordon Ramsay how to shuck with your style. I go, is that cat going to listen to me? He's a lefty first. And two, my, my, he's going to have to listen to me. 
Is he okay with that? Is he okay with losing? They go, you're hired. You're totally in. They go, can you do that again in a video? I go, yeah, he's got to be good with losing. He's good as a chef, but a shucker, right, he right. might do okay. So we went, we did the head to head. And the longer story of that one, everyone's sort of seen the thing because I broke the record there to, to 39 a minute. But it's actually, no one's ever seen the video. There's two videos. Got you. I went in, I went in week two of production and they shot this thing live to tape on Santa Monica Pier at seven o'clock in the morning. And you get three attempts and I, I had to take all three to get to the, where I wanted to go. And we literally went head to head and Gordon kind of gave up after the second attempt. He's like, I'm not doing that again. again. Right. Cause, and so they shot it all different and they, they let her rip and boom, there we go. So it's in the can. I won the Guinness book right there. It's all there. Good. And they say, Patrick, we're going to put this on as you know, and today this week we were at Santa Monica Pier and it could go this week or it could go next week. Great. And it's an eight week show. Well, I waited and I'm on a non-disclosure. I couldn't tell anybody about, I didn't even tell my mom right. that I was going to do this. Right. I was like, cause I, Gordon's got a few lawyers. If I said something, he got more money. I can't deal with that. So I said to, I, I, I didn't say a thing. Each week went past. It's coming down to the last two weeks. And I'm literally calling the production. Are you putting it on this week? Because I want to tell everybody, just come to the bar. Come to Kaylee Cottage today. We're going to watch some TV and something weird's going to happen. And so she goes, uh, just give us a second. I get a phone call on a Sunday night. Now, this is back again in 2000, whenever. Sunday night was Game of Thrones. And on Sunday night, Game of Thrones, you spend, you're watching Game of Thrones and you drink red wine every time someone on the show drinks red wine. You can't do it. There's too much wine being drunk. So we're finishing off this red wine watching Game of Thrones. It's 10 o'clock Toronto time. And the phone call comes up and it's Burbank, California. I'm like, oh, I better get this. Hello. Hi, Patrick. It's Gordon Ramsay's show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is it going on this week? Uh, no, not really. We kind of need you to come back. I'm like, what? Why do you need me? We want you to do it again. We, we're doing it live in the studio now. I go, yeah, I've seen it over the past couple of weeks. It's changed from that shoot outside to now in the studio yeah we want to go in studio so we need you to come back i'm like but it's in the can why don't we just use that well we might not use it if you can't come we're, we might just scrap it and do something else i go hang on one second so i have to tell my wife wow. i gotta go again and she's like you gotta go i'm like okay what's the story well we kind of need you on you know we shoot on the wednesday so we need you on the tuesday of this week, which means we need you to come and land in, in California on Monday. And I'm like, Monday, like tomorrow, Monday, <laughs> like, yeah, tomorrow. Wow. I'm like, well, can you organize a plane? It's 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. And I've just finished a bottle of red wine. <laughs> can you organize the plane and all that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll go. Uh, I'll pack my bags and whatever in how many hours. Sure. So I'll come tomorrow and they go, you're probably going to need oysters. Right. And they're like, Oh, right. Yeah. How are we going to go? So it's, it's July. It's now Gardner. How are you going to get 500 oysters of a good quality that you're going to speed shuck with yeah, in the summertime yeah. to Los Angeles in 24 hours. So you, I called three different suppliers, one in one in Los Angeles, one in San Francisco, and one in Boston. And they all shipped 500 oysters just in case. Just it wasn't case. the right one. I said, you're going to have to foot that bill. They go, fine, whatever. And so they, they shipped everything. I got what I had to do. And 
the, 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 I use a 20 foot long board to do this Guinness book thing now because of the size space based on the oyster. And that's how I won the Guinness, the 39. So the carpenters come back and they, they beautifully constructed this table of the design. I, I shipped them the design and they made it in 10 seconds. So now it's in studio. The carpenters come up to the great Australian guy, great accent. He goes, Patty, can't do a 20 foot table. Got to do 17. Can you do 17 table? I'm like, on. I'm here now. Like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Let's try this. So now I'm short by three feet on my spacing on oysters. They're, they're a little tight together. Long story short, I only shuck 35 in the minute versus the 39. So that's why on the video, I don't win, but I get right. to keep my Guinness book, which right. ends up being the good thing. No matter where I go, if I get, if I don't break it, I get to keep it. So yeah. that's, that's the, and the funny thing again with Guinness, it's, it's just that. And then, then of course, that same week back to the beginning, the Martha Stewart show calls up and they, literally the same thing happened. They go, we want you to come on the show and show them how to shuck oysters and maybe do some tasting and maybe, maybe do the Guinness book thing. I go, uh, I can't, I can't, I can't do, I go, is this the, is this the Gordon Ramsay show? They go, no, this isn't a Gordon Ramsay show. Who are you, what are you doing with Gordon Ramsay? I go, nothing. I've already signed a non-declosure. Nothing. I'm not doing, don't, don't worry about him. What, what right. do you want me to do? I'll, I can't do a Guinness book. I, I'll, I can't do speed shocking. I just, let's show them who is this one again. And they're again, again, I, I don't listen, I guess. This is the Martha Stewart Snoop Dogg show. I go, yeah, I got time for them. Right, right, Yeah, right. that's fine. Yeah, there's, there's no saying no to them. And that was, that was a surreal moment. If you get to see that, I haven't even seen the show because it's a show that's only shown in the States. Right. Across, wow. I don't okay. know what happens to Wi-Fi and all this, you know, Google thing. As soon as you cross an imaginary border in the world of electronics, you can't, I can't get anything. So I can't get that up here. I have to somehow stream it and download it down and down in the States somehow. I keep forgetting to do that, but that was, that was another insane moment. I bet, man. So, all right. What advice would you give a young shucker, maybe mm. an oyster ninja, to yeah. get? <laughs> no, uh, man, you're doing some great things, man. I love it. Well, it's it's just all opportunity when it comes down to it. It's all it's 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 not what you know; it's who you know. Uh, but you can't know who you want to know unless you know something. So you've already got your knowledge and your skills. It's just opportunity as it comes along. Um, I just had a opportunities of people. I, I saw people in my restaurant that would come into the restaurant that could move me to a different direction. Uh, we, we shot umpteen. I've, I shot no less than five sizzle reels for food network to do something specific to oyster than aquaculture, broaden out this perspective. And this is in like, again, 2004, 2005 mm. after. So I all pre web everything. So yeah. we got it to food TV. We went to New York and the, the, the people at, at Food TV, they go, this show is really fantastic. It's more of a discovery. It's, for, it's more intelligent than what our viewership is. I'm like, right, are you, right, what right. are you talking about? Your viewers on Food TV, you say, you're going to put out another cupcake show, aren't you? And they did. Yep, and so, but now you're doing stuff that's great. So you continue with what you're doing and getting it out there. Your YouTube. So what I would recommend for young Oyster shuckers that think that this is a, a great thing to do. One, know that it is a lot of work. Being a restaurateur, like I said, if you want to own your own joint, you got to be able to wash bathrooms and enjoy it and then serve people, but wash your hands first. Uh, you know, do things a, a your own way, but you have to know that you're going to be working 18 to 20 hours a day. 
as a as an owner if you and you to get to that level you work through things you the oyster world is all apprenticed there is no and this is why i'm working on a lessons lesson plan in my world of culinary schools i am working on a design of something like that as well um, because there are no learning schools to learn oyster it is a something that comes underneath the poissonnier the person who's in charge of the fish in the kitchen brigade and even then as you know most chefs will offer the oyster shucking position to dishwashers and busboys. So that's my, I came up as a busboy. So I fit that bill and I just, we work it on our way up. Work in establishments that you like that showcase the oyster in a better light. You know, if you like what you learn, you've learned in oystering, if you're living in a city that has great oyster bars and really showcases and puts them forward, get in there, start working in those joints and get that, you, you become a character. Uh, know your oyster, know your species, know your everything about the oyster. Um, and then think of it like wine. Think of it like a wine sommelier, as I do. But I'm not saying that you have to do it this way because there's a whole vast amount of knowledge that, that's over the years is what I've accumulated. I don't know that much about grape juice. So I just, call, and I call it grape juice at the restaurant. Oh yeah, you want a good grape juice with that one? I'll get the white one, the Muscadet. It's a good one. And uh, so you, you can pair things with it as well. So learn, learn your oyster, learn your technique, learn a good technique for opening oysters quickly and cleanly. Work on your speed afterwards, clean first, speed afterwards. And then if you want to go to those contests and then strive and, and work your way up, uh, strive to beat the person who beat you the last time and keep doing that and you know keep shucking that's that's all there is to it is just volume because uh, it's such a repetitive thing volume and then watch great technique if you can watch oyster shuckers or get video of shuckers that follow along in your style of technique uh, i can look at most people's technique and i can actually analyze and look where they're falling short even if it's a in-hand style or whether it's a european style uh, side french or swedish top down with the bottom blade or tabletop style shucking left or right hand. Again, it's kinesiology and looking at those sports sciences saying, okay, this is where you got to break it down. You have to break it down to its elemental parts of the job. Uh, Right-handed shucker tabletop style is a five step process can be a four step process. There is another technique that you can use that you only have to do four steps, which will save you time. I did that once I, I tried the five, the four step and that's just finishing the oyster coming back through the top of it, instead of turning the oyster and then coming underneath, you turn your blade and come down from the front lip and hit that adductor muscle. You don't have to turn it. That's one to two seconds per oyster times 18. That's 10 seconds. So I told this to, I, I was gonna use this technique at the Ontario's one year. I told the camera guy that I was working with, I go, I'm gonna do this technique and I'm gonna be 10 seconds faster than the top three people. Watch this, watch how this happens. And it happened. <laughs> I was literally 10 seconds. So we usually shucked in a, in, a, in a 140 to 135 to 140 for uh, 18 oysters. That's crazy. As a flat time. And I dropped it to a 127. So wow. I broke the 30. So I dropped it, you know, that 10 seconds because I did this one technique. And the, this guy, my buddy Phil, who's faster than me, there are people who are faster, who's faster than me. He comes, Phil comes up and he goes, what did you do? Because <laughs> no one can see it because you, 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 there's no one taking videos of it at that close. Right. What did you do? 
So I showed him the technique. He goes, oh, okay. <laughs> and there's so many times when I've done this before, back when I started shucking, the guys who showed me how to shuck oysters, I started my technique and changing the, the separating the hands. It would get frustrating to me watching these guys do this on the bar while I was working. So one time Jeffrey was, was shucking oysters and he was doing this and wasting the time. So I went, came behind him and I grabbed his hands while he was shucking and I made him do it like this. He was like, he had to physically be manipulated through the technique. Then he goes, light bulb, bing, I get it, I understand. And then you get to learn it that way. So now with videos, you can really get that and watch those. So watch techniques, watch other people's techniques, watch, watch people, because you can YouTube that thing all over the place. You can see all these different styles and techniques and then do that. That's what I would recommend for, for people who want to aspire to shock more, uh, shock better, shock cleanly. Um, and learn the different techniques. The ultimate technique still is not really, it's, it's the, the ultimate shuck is where you sever the meat from the bottom, but it's still stuck, stuck in the pocket as uh, Chopper Young, uh, you know, U.S. Yeah. national champion, world champion, Chopper Young, he shucks and he, he, his quote was great. It's like stuck in the pocket. I'm trying to say, usually it's a vacuum at the back of the hinge because mm -hmm. it cups underneath that way when you sever the meat from underneath you can leave it in the shell. It will hang out. I did a, I did a posting on Instagram three, my third last posting shows a slow-mo of me touching the oyster and it slides out ever so gently. Once you just touch where the vacuum is and it slides out, if you can shuck the oyster, leave it attached, that's where the best shuck goes to. And I, uh, this is where at the worlds you get penalized for flipping. So when you cut the top of the oyster and you have a little nick in it, it, you sever the bottom, you flip it, it looks fat, but the oyster is right to left instead of anatomically correct. So you get penalized to world championships. So train yourself to the world's levels. Train yourself to shuck an oyster that you don't have to flip, right? You don't have to because it's not been marred and make sure it's severed, but still stuck in the pocket. And then it's like, that is the best you could possibly do. Oh man, you dropping gems, man! <laughs> dropping gems. Too I gotta much. go back and watch this video I, myself. Yeah. <laughs> I do apologize. There's a there's a lot. I talk I talk a lot, and I took way too much time. And I don't no. even know if you what what are the questions you got? Hey, you answered everything. Believe me, you answered everything yeah. and some and some. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I love to do these type of things and have chats with people, and I love what you do. And and you know your your Oyster Ninja podcast is fantastic because you're just chatting with people, which is great. Right. And it's it's a lot of fun that way. And it's it's how you get the information out. You know, not everyone can come up to the restaurants. And now I don't have my own restaurants at the moment or I'm not working in a place right now. And I even my students are like, where's your restaurant? I want to come to your restaurant, watch your work. I'm like, ah, too late. Missed it all. I have customers that are, you know, still sad that Starfish is closed. I'm like, wow, you're dating yourself. That's that's like a long time ago. But to do that is great. And so when I get a chance to go out and, and run an oyster bar where I've done stages at different hotels in Hong Kong and Shanghai and New York and wherever, now it's easier to post it up and people will come and say, we, we heard that you were going to be here. I, I went to Philadelphia once uh, to do a, just an oyster shucking at the Kitchen Capers, the store there. That carries my knife. And people, I posted that I'm going to be there. They actually showed up which I think is the weirdest thing ever. They go, we love you. And it was just right. showed up like, oh, that's really cool. Thanks very much. But as, as you do, you know, we, we appreciate everyone who likes this type of stuff and we go from there. Man, that's great. So man. thank you. And just keep, keep doing what you're doing. And, and hopefully people will be able to get out and get out more. 
post-COVID, Oyster is the number one. And I tell this to everyone. I, I just did a, a, a podcast thing with Dr. Greg Emerson from New Zealand in Australia. He did this, again, it was an hour long. He's, he's, he's looking at how natural things can affect the body and be beneficial for you healthy-wise. And he's just getting into the world of oyster. And he's saying, why don't people know about the nutritional value more than anything else about the oyster? And it's like, well, you don't want to say it's good like kale because then no one's going to want to have it anyways, right? right. But it's, more, it's a healthier protein. It's easily digestible. It's got 100% algae that's in there that, that you can't get. Micro minerals from ocean minerals. It's sustainably grown. You can't get a better sustainable grown protein. Lowest amount of greenhouse gas emissions created per ounce or pound of protein source versus anything else. Cow, and I, that's a that's a doctoral paper that I read that was posted last year. Uh, they compared uh, beef, pork, chicken, and oyster, and of course, oyster was perfect. It, it right. benefits the environment, and that's where. I want more people to understand that with the amount of zinc that you can get in an oyster that boosts your immunity, you can stay healthier longer. That's how we evolved to where we are today. And we may need that type of stuff post COVID. Uh, you know, most natural source of protein you can get anywhere and, and it's aquaculture to benefits the environment that it's grown in. That's why there's more oysters being grown now than there has been in the past 10, 20, 30 years, more oyster farms growing up every single time. And we always say thank you to the oyster farmers who grow the oyster that's the hard work exactly i just so i shuck around for like a minute uh, that was the best <laughs> line ever coming out of boston there was a shucker named red at union oyster house and i i, I know the, the kids at, at, at union very well and and the owner brought me sat me down in the bar they hey this is patrick oh yeah are you patty that that guinness book oyster shucker guy yeah yeah that's me he goes nice nice what what's your record what's your record uh, at the time, it was like 38, 38 oysters in a minute. Oh, 38 oysters in a minute. That's that's nice. That's nice. So tell me something. Do you do you uh, work like a minute a day? Is that is that what you work at? Do you like working for a minute? And I'm like laughing, going, "Yes, it's total baloney." I get it. He goes, "Show me a contest of like 500 oysters, or like you know, like a whole day, like a like an eight-hour shift. Show me something like that, and I'm in on that one there." I the minute, you know, that's nice and all. <laughs> like, I, I totally get it. I, it's, it's, I, I call it, it's the, it's the clown show, it's the dog and pony show, but it, hey, it gets me trips around the world and having fun. It gets me talking to more people about oysters. But, you know, Guinness Book is a thing, but I think it's more important to do uh, clean shucking. Number one, get those people interested in a very clean, well-shucked oyster, well-presented, and talked about, about the subtle nuances that that oyster farmer put five years into. And then you can try it with sauce on top of it. So try it that way first, then learn how to be quicker. Then you learn at the contest. So that's sort of how I sort of think of things. Thanks, man. And almost think too much. <laughs> Yo, I, I really appreciate you for taking time out of your day, man. Like I said, uh, no I think um, in the Instagram when we were talking, I was like, you're busy, you know, taking over the world, you know. But, you know, I really appreciate you uh, <laughs> that, taking time to talk, man. Oyster World's a teeny tiny place. The big world is very, very big, and there's lots to go on. But I, I, this is this is it. I, I love what you do, and and I love talking to people about oysters. So, carry on, keep on shocking, and all that type of stuff. I appreciate it, man. I will. And like while we've been talking, um, 
I've, I'm in my head. I'm like, yo, I need to do a roundtable podcast, you know, with like just, uh, yeah. just a, a battle yeah. of the minds, you know. Yeah, so that, that's what I'm I, be I was thinking on the same thing this morning. <laughs> I got all the old crew from Rodney's Oyster House. I gotta, I'm gonna dig together nice. those guys because it's like having old guys sit around a hot uh, the the stove and having a having a cup of tea and, and telling old war stories. That's yeah. that's what these. are. And that's just Rodney's alone. Like that's just that one entity up until 2000 and 2000 is basically when it was. And then it moved on and it's, it's still there. It's still great. But the old school guys, how we got up into this and, you know, just tell stories. It's bonkers. But then round table, get the oyster shuckers all around It's you know, get chopper on the, on the phone, get all the other types of uh, high end shuckers, low end shuckers, and just have them. Okay don't tell start start telling stories you won't have enough time that's what they make tv for <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there that. we'll get there no doubt man yeah you got it all right man i'm not gonna that's hold like you a- up anymore a- man we gotta get amy schumer on this amy schumer learns to shock i'm just oh, i'm just oh, saying there it is <laughs> well patrick you, you're the one with the connects man you know i'm just trying to tag along on the, the contact <laughs> <laughs> well we'll put it out there no doubt we'll put no it doubt. out there all right, man. That that that's that's a wrap, man. Where where can we cool. reach you at, man? Like, what's what's your contact information, man? Where can we find everything? You? Everything is Shucker Patty. I have shuckerpatty.ca is my website. It's middle of construction at all times. It's got lots, but not enough information. I'm always working on it, so you can always connect through there at Shucker Patty on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, are all the things that that I usually do. Facebook drop a line. And I tell this to my customers who buy my knife and or customers who don't buy my knife and want to, if you want to go anywhere to find a good oyster bar or whatnot, you can go online, email me and I can help you through choosing an oyster at your restaurant, whatever, because it all comes through on this thing. And I answer everything. So it's just me, that type of thing. And, you know, so you can get a, get a hold of me that way at Shucker Patty on anything. All right, man. Appreciate you. Until the next time. Thank you. You got it. Anytime. Be safe, man. We'll see you later. All right. See you later, Ninja. All right. Uh Uh-oh.